one. Who needs a Bible? We have men standing ready to give you a Bible if you need it. If you haven't memorized, that's okay. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <clears throat> well, I, again, I don't... I think when I asked about what costs, I think Stephen raised his hand. I'm not sure. Is that right, Stephen, last service? What's that? Okay, thank you. <laughs> well, this was for Brother Wakas, but I'll say in any way, some of you heard were here when he spoke. Um, these aren't my best clothes, but but they are my best clothes that are comfortable. So, yeah, that's right. <clears throat> I also wanted to mention this is basically because of Brother Wakas as well that uh, any any jokes on my part during the message are purely unintentional. So. If, if there's something said that's funny and you want to laugh, that's okay. Hopefully you won't laugh at something that's serious. But if you feel the need to, that's okay. Um, last service I had mentioned that, um, by the way, my name is Mark, for those of you that may not know who I am. And and I am not the pastor for the first-timers, whoever they were. They raised their hand. Um, so if you're disappointed, please come back because you'll hear the pastor. <laughs> Um, but I shared, uh, I had mentioned that many of you I don't know very well, and you kind of get to know someone if they speak, but a, a little bit. And so I shared um, something with them. So I'm going to share something different with you, and then that way you all can talk to each other and find out what the other was. Uh, uh, Jill and I's background, uh, I, I wasn't churched as a young person uh, through... Uh, well, I say young person, through high school, um, uh, midway through high school, we kind of started going to a little country church, but basically wasn't church. Jill was um, raised in a staunch Methodist family, went to a Methodist church uh, all of her life until she came to know the Lord. No comment there, just facts. And um, so anyway, the, we, the churches that we've attended have, um, our early church experience was really typical to Calvary Chapel. And before we came here, I'd never heard of Calvary Chapel. So <clears throat> I'm just saying that, you know, it, there are things that are very, very similar. Uh, and, but one of the things is, is we've always been in churches that sang out of hymn books until the last church that we attended, which was Ridgecrest. And I played in the orchestra, and, and their, their traditional service isn't really what we would call a traditional service, and that's okay. When, I'm not into nuances, but just to say that many when we came here, I didn't know any of the songs. Um, and again, no, that's not a commentary. That's just a fact. And uh, I, I play music. I like music. Um, I don't tend to listen to 88.3, which is what my family keeps reminding me when I say, I don't know that song. And they say, well, if you'd listen to the right radio station, you'd, you know. Uh, so anyway, uh, I just wanted to share. So most of my mu- musical hy- hymnody or poetry comes from hymnody. That's just my background. So it is, again, no commentary, just fact. And But there was a song we sang here this morning that I'd never heard before. And, you know, so you Whatever judgments you want to make from that, it's fine with me. I don't care. But uh, there was one line in it that says, so the song, I'm not sure what the title of the song is, but it's what a beautiful name it is. It kept being repeated, I assume that was the. 
Um, that was the title. And, um, but I like these two, these two lines. You have no rival and you have no equal. Speaking of the Lord Jesus. And um, it encouraged me in the first service because it kind of goes along in a way with, with what, I wanted to, what I wanted to share with you all this morning. So no rival, no equal, and you'll see why. So that's a little hint there. But And my background, again, is, is uh, hymnal singing, but I've enjoyed uh, the songs I've learned here, and they're great, and I don't have anything against them. So there's that statement. Uh, so what I'd like for us to do, though, is turn to Psalm 86. The title of my message this morning is, Are You Bigger Than Your God? And we're going to look at Psalm 86, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 17 for us. Teach me thy way, O Lord, I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will give thanks to thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and will glorify thy name forever. For thy loving kindness towards me is great, and thou hast delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, arrogant men have risen up against me, and a band of violent men have sought my life, and they have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. O grant thy strength to thy servant, and save the son of thy handmaid. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed, because thou, O Lord, hast helped me and comforted me. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this time to look at your word. I thank you, Father, for truth uh, again, and truth that, Lord, will set us free and will help us and will encourage us and will cause us to see you more clearly and to follow you more closely and to love you. Uh, Father, with a heart more pure uh, and a desire uh, to be with you for all eternity. Father, give us truth. Give us what we need. Deliver us from lies. And we thank you this morning for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I do appreciate your all's prayers. I did uh, mention that this morning. I really do. And I enjoy, uh, I trust, being used by God to share truth because that's what's always blessed me from others who's been able to share from the pulpit. <clears throat> so Psalm 86, a Psalm of David. Uh, that's what it says in my Bible anyway, so we're going to believe that for right now. And um, I, I read this, and, and actually uh, there was a section of this that began to pop out at me. And it got me thinking along these lines. And so <clears throat> uh, ever since the garden... When Adam was created, man has had a God. And, of course, in Adam's case, he knew who that God was. There was no problem until sin entered the world. And since then, since the fall, men's gods have not all been the same, have they? Men. Uh, And when I use the word men, ladies, I mean mankind. Okay, so we're... Nobody gets a pass. Okay, <clears throat> we're talking about everybody. <clears throat> and we might do well to wonder 
about our God, I'm assuming since we're all mankind in here, that we all have gods. You just made that statement. I think it's true. There are some people who may say they don't have a God. Um, others may say they're not too sure if there is a God or not, or if there is who that God is. And there may be other people. Uh, we don't have that too much here, but again, where Wakasa's from, other parts of the world, some people have lots of gods, right? They make no bones about it. We have a God for this and a God for that and a God for something else, and, and we worship those gods. So, <clears throat> but here we've got David, no doubt. David has a God, doesn't he? And um, I would posit David's telling us he has a big God. He has a big God. But I'm curious, and I'd like you to be curious along with me, if nothing else, just to humor me. Play along if that's what you need to do. But I'd like you to think along with me. Are you bigger than your God? Am I bigger than my God? Yeah. Some of you might be saying, uh, wondering why I'm asking such a silly question, and that might be a valid that might be a valid uh, wonder that you would have. But I think it's a worthy question to be asked: Are we bigger than our God? David had a big God, and and I think we should too. And we begin to see this in the part of the passage that I did not read, which was the first ten verses. David tells us that he serves a big God. He serves a big God. And we see that with some foundational truths. If you look at verse 5, those of you from the first service that might be in here, um, this may go in a little different order, and some things may be said that weren't said before because that's kind of the way I roll. But uh, So let's look at verse 5 of, of uh, Psalm 86. What we have here is David telling us a foundational truth about why he serves a big God. For, and for is kind of like therefore in the Bible, and you know what Tom says about therefore, so I won't repeat it. For is kind of like that. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon thee. He serves a big God, David does, and he serves a big God of grace. That's exactly what this verse is telling us. Thou, Lord, art good, ready to forgive, abundant in loving kindness to all, who call, to all who call upon them. And because of that, we can go back up to these first four verses and see why he does what he does. In verse 1, he seeks out a hearing God, a God that hears because he's afflicted and needy. Now he can seek that hearing God because he's got God, the God he serves is a big God of grace. <clears throat> In verse 2, he asks for a preserving God. He asks for God to preserve him because uh, he's a godly man. I don't think that means he thought he was a perfect man. Obviously, we know that because of the scripture, and we know, and I'm sure he knew that too. But he was a godly man. He's asking for God to preserve him. He's asking for God to save him as a trusting servant, a servant that's putting his faith in him. He's asking for God to save him, protect him, help him. He's desiring a gracious God because he cries out to God. He's looking to God to have grace on him. And he's looking for a soul-gladdening God in verse 4 because God, because he's, 
He's offered up his soul. He's put all his eggs in one basket. He's saying, Lord, my soul is yours, and I'm looking for you to gladden my heart. And he can ask all those things because of verse 5. Because God is a good, forgiving, abundant in loving kindness God. That's the kind of God he is. Well, he goes on. God's not only a, not only a big God of grace, but he's also a big God of power. Look in verses 6 and 7. God, uh, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and give heed to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I shall call upon thee. So he's, he's asking God, he's saying, hear me, hear me, Lord, I'm going to pray to you, hear me, and give heed to my supplications. And in the day of my trouble, at the point of my highest need, at the time when I, when I am in the most difficult spot, I'm going to look to you. Why? Because, well, because of this foundational truth. For thou wilt answer me. And how, does he, how is he so sure that God's going to answer him? Look in verse 7. Uh, in verse 8. There is no one like thee among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like thine. Now, <clears throat> I mentioned uh, mentioned before, we all know the secret, right? There aren't, there aren't any other gods, right? There, there aren't any other gods. There's just one God, right? But some people think there are gods. And I guess kind of the point of why I'm asking this question, maybe the God we think we have is not exactly the God we think we have, Right? But there really aren't any other gods. But what David is saying is, if we think there's these gods, and by calling them gods, they're powerful, God is way above that. The God that David serves, this God he's talking about right here in Psalm 86, he's way above that. Not only is he above those gods, but his works... are There's nobody that does anything like God does. It, it's it, it, there, and 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 I tend to think of things, and the Old Testament tends to put it in terms of creation, right? Parting the Red Sea, parting the River Jordan, big things. Be difficult for you or I to do that, probably, right? Let's just go create a planet and hang it out there in nothing. But God does that; His works are big. So what is it? That's a powerful God. God is a powerful God. And David says, I'm going to cry out to you, and I'm going to come to you in my point of trouble, and I know you're going to answer me. Why? Because you're a big, powerful God. I know that. That's what David is saying. So he serves a gracious, big in grace, big in power, and he serves a God that's bigger than big. I didn't know how else to say it. Bigger than big. All right, let's look in verse um, 9. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and they shall glorify thy name. Why? Here's this foundational principle. For thou art great and doest wondrous deeds. Thou alone art God. He's a big, a bigger than big God. He sucks all the oxygen out of the room, right? When God shows up, there isn't anything or anyone bigger than he is. And we know that because of his wondrous deeds. 
the great things he has done. What he does is above and beyond, far beyond um, what anybody else can do. And I think uh, what David's saying here is that this isn't just my God. This isn't just the Jews' God. This God is is big enough for everybody. This is this God is everybody's God. And so he's a he's a bigger than big God. So this is the kind of God that David served. David says, I serve. Verse 10 verses. He's saying, I serve a big God. Big in grace, big in power, bigger than anything out there. He's big. So he's great big. Right? So we've got a big God. And you say, well, okay, you're making a big deal out of this Mark, what's what's the point? Why are you doing this? Well, uh, I'm I'm hoping you all agree with me, and you, you can say, yeah, I believe that's that's true, and that's good. But David did a lot more than just believe it. David incorporated it into his life. He acted on the fact that he served a big God, and we see that in what's coming up next, because David not only served a big God. He served a a saving God. He a, a God that saves big. Now, <clears throat> I, I have asked here a few times: Are you bigger than your God? And I want us to think about this: Are are you? Am I? Are are we bigger than our God? Now it sounds silly to say, since I just got through saying God's big, right? It's like, okay, get over this, Mark. Move on. Well, I don't want to because. Because David really didn't, and I think we can glean something from this. So, are you bigger than your God? Are you bigger than your God? kind of sounds like we're not saying that right, right? I hope you get that. That Really, we're not saying that right. That shouldn't be the way it is. But it is the question we're asking. And so that kind of leads me to muse a little bit, and I'm just going to ask you to follow along. So when you find yourself in a position where, in life, we're where you need to make some decisions or you need to do something and you're not really sure what the right thing is to do, do you ask your God what it is you ought to do in that circumstance? Do you seek out maybe some teachings he might have to see what the right thing is to do, to see what might please him, what might be the most helpful to, to, for what you should do? Or do you just say, you know what, God, I got this. I'm good. I, I can handle it. I'm all, I, you know, this one I got. You, you don't have to, I don't need to know what you think really because I've got it figured out and I can do it. I can handle it. Something to think about. Something to muse on. Or maybe you find yourself facing um, a, a morally compromising decision. Something maybe... Not good. Shouldn't do. And you're struggling. You're saying, well, hmm, should I serve my God or should I serve myself? What should I do here? Is your God in those moments big enough to come and grant deliverance and help deliver you? Or maybe you don't care. Maybe that's not really what you want your God for. Maybe you're just willing to kind of paste over it 
and uh, live with your double-mindedness and, and excuse it and say, well, you know, I, most of the time I do good things and, you know, the good's going to kind of outweigh the bad. <clears throat> you know, just pondering, wondering what happens when, when you face those things. Well, I have another question. This, is, uh, this will lead us into maybe some answers here. Have you ever found yourself in a position where you have been so overcome by sin and guilt and confusion and emotional and mental fatigue over your predicament, where you're at, and you're seeing, you know, there's no way out. I I can't see a way out. I don't see deliverance. I can't find any help. I don't know how to get out from under this kind of like pilgrim with the weight on his back in the city of destruction. And he really doesn't know. He's, he's, he's struggling with this weight that he has. And maybe some of you have found yourselves in that position in the past. Maybe you're struggling with that right now. I don't know. But... What I want to encourage us with, and we're getting to the encouraging part here, is David experienced that very thing. And this is our next foundational truth, and it's found in verse 13. For thy loving kindness toward... Now, there's that word for, so we're going to think about the verses ahead here in a minute. But for thy loving kindness toward me is great, and thou hast delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol... David was in the depths of the place of the dead. He was way down here. And there wasn't any hope for him, it would appear, by the way he's talking. Now, we don't know what this circumstance was, and you don't know what my circumstances have been. I don't know your circumstances, and we don't necessarily have to share those. But we know the feeling, right? We know the position And David was way down there in the depths of Sheol. But what happened? He was delivered. And we know that because he says, you've delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. And you did it because your loving kindness is great. So David experienced this. Well, so so what does that mean for us? Well, what that means is when we've experienced the deliverance of God from a place of our total inability, we can begin to answer, are you bigger than your God? We can begin to answer that. Because what we find out down here in the depths of Sheol is, no. If I'm delivered by anybody, it's not because I'm bigger than they are. Right? If God's delivered me, it's because I, I couldn't handle it. And I had to tell God, I can't handle it. I don't know the answer. I can't do this. I don't have the power in myself to overcome. I don't have the intellect to figure it all out. I need you, God. And that's where David was. And that's what he found. He found deliverance. He's a God of big deliverances, right? This big God's a God of big deliverances. And so 
because he's a God of big deliverances, look what he says in verse 11. What he doesn't say is, okay, God, sit down here. I got something to tell you. I'm going to school you on this thing right here. I'm going to tell you what, it's, what it is right now. I'm going to give you the answer because I know you need it. That's not what David says. Look what he says. He says, teach me thy way, O Lord. Now, he's in that position of being teachable because he knew that God, the big God that is, had delivered him. And he had something to say because he could deliver him. So David says, teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. We can only walk when God teaches us. We get trying to think we are full of something and we can just walk on our own. And that's not going to end well. We need to know what God says. And when he teaches us, then we can walk. And the God that's teaching us isn't just any old God we make up in our head. It's the God that is. It's the God we met. Think of Paul on the road to Damascus. He thought he knew what to do. And he was getting busy and doing it. And he had all the right letters and all the right recommendations. And he was going to go give some people a really hard time until he met the real, true, and living God. And what does he say the minute he's cast down on the ground by the great light? What does he say? Who are you, Lord? He doesn't say, now wait a minute here, I, I realize we've got this thing going on and maybe we're not getting along, but he didn't try to fast talk, he didn't try to get out of it. He says, he knows he's the Lord. And, and that's, the way, that's the way we should be. That's the way we are if we've been like David, right? Down here where we can't get ourselves out. So we can come to God and say, teach me and I'll walk in your way. We can also say, Lord, unite my heart to fear thy name. And it doesn't say then, but I kind of think of it that way. I will give thanks to thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart and will glorify thy name forever. What does that mean? Unite my heart to, to fear thy name. Well, I think it means this. <clears throat> Anytime we want to have God and we kind of want to keep our sin, we're not going to have a united heart. We're going to have a divided heart. And... What David is saying is, Lord, I need you to unite my heart. I need you to help me deal with this. I need the power of your spirit in my life to overcome and to put off and to put on, to be delivered from this thing that's constantly badgering me and causing me to have this divided heart. I don't want to have that divided heart. Lord, you unite my heart. Not, I'm going to, you know, do the bootstrap thing. Doesn't, it, 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 you know, it, it, I appreciate that we are a nation of rugged individualism, but it doesn't work in the gospel. We are helpless, hopeless, and in desperate need apart from the only God that is. And he is the one in the person of Jesus Christ that comes into our lives and unites our heart delivers us from sin. And then we can do something, and actually you might find it as a good little test. Can I give thanks to God for the situation I'm in? Really, truly give thanks. 
If I can't, I might need to look at my heart and see if there's a little crack in there. What's, is it kind of coming apart? What is it? What is it that keeps me from giving thanks? Can I glorify His name? Can I give glory to Him in my circumstance? Not, 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 you don't not face reality. Jill and I talk about this a lot. We got things that bug us, and we're people too, right? And, and that's why this question's for me as much as it is for anybody. And, but we can't not face reality. You, you have to face reality. Something, when something's out there and you just don't like Jesus, I, I honestly believe Jesus prayed to have the cup taken away because he didn't really like what he was saying. It has nothing to do with his willingness to obey the Father. It has nothing to do with what he... And he didn't sin in it, but he really didn't like what he saw. Sometimes that's true for us. We don't like what we see. But can we glorify God in it? Anyway, that's when we have a united heart. That's when we're saying, Lord, I see it, I don't like it, but I'm going to follow you in it anyway because because I have to to be united and you need to unite my heart. And that happens because we have experienced the big God of big deliverances. And I shared this earlier, and I'm going to share it. I shared it in a little different order, but I think of the woman caught in adultery. And, and you all know the story, but you know, in broad daylight, here's this woman who had actually broken the law according to the testimony of Scripture. She really had broken the law. She'd committed adultery. Those men brought her. They claimed she'd been caught in the very act, and we're going to take their word for it. They brought her, and of course they brought her with evil motives. They were trying to catch the Lord in something. They didn't, they didn't really care about her or the law. They were trying to get Jesus to do something wrong. But they brought her. And set her down there, and of course, Jesus said, the person uh, that doesn't have any sin can throw the first stone. No sin, you can throw the stone. So from the oldest, so maybe there is, maybe, maybe age does bring wisdom, I don't know, <laughs> in some kind of relative term. But the oldest to the youngest, they started leaving, they left, and there wasn't anybody around. And Jesus looked at this woman and said, does no one condemn you? I mean, here there was a... I mean, I'm assuming there was... I, I always get the picture there's a lot of guys standing around there, you know, with their robes and whatever they wear that says they're really important religious people, right? And they all left. They weren't there. And Jesus said, Doesn't, isn't there anybody condemning you? And she didn't say, well, you know, Lord, you know, look... I you got to understand, she didn't start making excuses. She didn't start backpedaling. She didn't start trying to justify herself. She just simply said, no, Lord, no. And Jesus said the most amazing, deliverable statement that you can read, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That woman in that point of time was like David at the bottom of Sheol, with no hope of deliverance. And like that, the God of deliverance has said, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. And I have to believe she was pretty excited about that. We don't have it in Scripture what she did. You know, you get the guy that's healed and he's leaping and shouting and praising God and you get descriptions of it. We don't really get a description of her. But I'd like to think that that deliverance was so real for her 
and so complete for her that years later when the devil comes along and, and to her and says and just lays it all, all the muck and all the junk and the mire out in front of her and just lays it right out there in front of her and says, see, that's what you did. That's who you are. And when the devil did that, she would think of what the Lord Jesus himself told her. Neither do I condemn you. And brethren, that's a deliverance. When we know that God himself has delivered us from the depths of Sheol, then we know who our God is. right? And we know who's big and who isn't. And, and she did. Psalm 68.20 says, God is to us a God of deliverances. I've thought of that verse many times, especially early in my Christian walk. And to God the Lord belong escapes from death. Psalm 40, verse 2. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He did it. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction. He set my feet on a rock. Who is it that's big, you see? If we've experienced the risen Christ, if God has really delivered us from anything that's real, we know who's big. We know who's big. And probably isn't the person in the mirror. Okay? Probably not. <clears throat> and of course, once we know that, we're looking to God to teach us and to unite our hearts so that we can give thanks. Well, not only did David serve a big God, not only was David saved by a big God, but... <clears throat> and I don't think I'm stretching this too much, David was the sign of a big God. He was the sign of a big God. And I believe the foundational truth for this is that God is a God of big testimonies. Right here, verse 17. Show me a sign for good. Why? That those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. Show me a sign... Why? That those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. Not so that I'll be rich and famous and healthy, wealthy and wise and Jesus drove a Cadillac and I, you know, whatever. That's nonsense. That's ridiculous. I don't even... But anyway. <laughs> no. We, that's not why God blesses us. But he's saying, show me a sign. David's saying that. Well, why would he say that? Well, let's look back up in verse 14. O oh God, arrogant men have risen up against me, and a band of violent men have sought my life, and they have not set thee before them. Godless men seek our life as a testimony against God, and that's just reality. <clears throat> the last set of verses we looked at about being delivered from the depths, that's kind of an internal thing. This is external. Here are men. It says arrogant men. New American says here, this is an older New American version, verse 14. Arrogant men have risen up against me and a band of violent men. They're arrogant, they're violent, and they're seeking David's life. And they haven't set God before them. They're not, a, they're not godly. They are godless. And they're not seeking God. And, they're, and they are looking, whether they realize it or not, to destroy God's 
testimony in David. That's what their, that's what their purpose is. So, are we bigger than our God? How do, we, how do we react to that? How do we deal with that? Do we get even? Get back? Carry a grudge? Carry a grudge. Can Christians carry a grudge? Do we put them down? Do we degrade them? Do we undermine them every chance we can get? Because they're godless people who seek to destroy God's testimony. Of course, we do it all in the name of our God, right? We, we justify ourselves. Do we do that? <clears throat> what does David say in verse 15? But thou, O Lord, art a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Yeah, there's haters out there. They're arrogant and they hate God. But that doesn't change God. And it shouldn't change us. God is a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's slow to anger. He's abundant in loving kindness and truth. And so David's response is, I see these people out here but I serve a big God, a God of big testimonies. So what am I going to do? I'm going to ask God to turn to me in verse 16. Turn to me, God, and be gracious to me. Why? So that I can have strength as your servant to face these arrogant, evil men. Turn to me, God. Grant me grace. Save me, the son of your handmaid. That's got to be some idiomatic expression, but I'm convinced it just means I'm part of the family. I'm part of the family. Save me. Protect me. Show, And then he says, show me a sign for good. Show me a sign for good. Why? That those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. You know, if you... if people ever get ashamed of what they do they might start thinking a different direction and if god is helping us showing grace to us helping us graciously deal with people who are arrogant and against our testimony but in a gracious loving way if we're if god enables us to do that it, those people might actually become ashamed of what they're doing and might begin to wonder what it is that we have that they don't have and might begin to seek the big God that is, right? That might, that might happen. And in, the, and in the process, we're helped and comforted. Now, I don't want to go into any great long detail, but I, but I can tell you this, this very last part, and you are not, I don't need to say this, but I'm going to say it. You're not looking at a perfect man. Sorry. I have coworkers. Julie was here, or she, I mean, used to be coworkers. <laughs> Julie was here in the first service. Andy's here now. They've all worked with me, and I didn't know them from Adam. I can't see your all's faces. 
but we didn't know each other, did we, really? I mean, we met, said hi, you know, and who knows what they thought. They probably, there's that, you know, bald-headed guy that never wants to be kind. I don't know. I don't know what they thought. <clears throat> but since the time that Tom asked if I would speak today and now, there's been drama at work that's been brewing, but I would not have expected it to happen the time it did, which is why I greatly appreciate the prayers of those who were praying for me specifically. And I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to go into great detail and I don't want to cast aspersions, but suffice it to say there was grace there for everybody, including me. And God worked a situation just like this out where it's so It's so humiliating to me that God would be gracious enough to treat me the way I did not deserve in order to basically work out this situation that was a long time coming and very difficult and included a lot of people. And and I believe that's the way David felt. That we don't have reason... It, Serving a big God doesn't give us a reason to act like we are on top of things. That's the point. That's the reason I asked the question. Are you bigger than your God? Because if you are, there are need. If I am, and believe me, there are places in our lives where we might still be. We have need of God. We need to get that worked out. God is big. Not Mark Noah. God is big. I serve a big God. And he's and he works on my behalf not because I'm anybody, but because he's gracious and kind and merciful. That is the only reason. And that's the only reason he'll help you. That's the only reason he'll be a big God for you is because of his grace and mercy and kindness, because of who he is. It's not because we've earned it or we deserve it. And if we know anything, it's because he taught us. And if we're united in heart, it's because he did it. And if we've found any grace in the eyes or we've had any help before unbelievers who are arrogant and evil, according to the testimony of God, it's because God decided to show us a sign. It's because God decided to turn to us. It's not because I, okay, God, here's my chips. Stack them up. You owe me this much because I've earned it. It doesn't work that way. It'll never work that way. But sometimes we act like we think that way. I think that way sometimes. I don't know about you all. I think that way sometimes. So, big God, are you bigger than your God? Am I bigger than mine? May the Lord help us to learn that we serve a big God and we can depend on him. Not because it's an academic thing that you heard from the pastor in the pulpit, but because God to us is a God of deliverances. And he has delivered. And because he's delivered us, we know he'll do it again and again and again. All we have to do is trust him. And rely on him. So let's pray and we'll sing a song.
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come and give us truth that we need to hear in the moment that we need to hear it. And Father, we thank you that you're for us in the moments that we so desperately need you for us and when we so least deserve it. You come and you help us and you, you, you be that big God for us that you are. And so, Father, help us to remember it. Help me to remember it. Lord, though you've demonstrated it over and over, just like the children of Israel, they saw it over and over and over again, and yet we're so quick to forget. I pray that we would not be that way, that we would remember, and that, Lord Jesus, we would love you and serve you, help us to worship you and live for you this week. And, Father, we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.